Welcome to the Religion and Story Podcast. On today's episode, we are answering the question, is church history still important today? I think over the next 30 minutes, we'll be offering some insight into how church history has shaped our own faith, and hopefully uh, we'll be able to challenge each other on how we can better integrate church history into the way we think about our own faith. So, Daniel, why don't you just get us started on answering this question, why is church history so important? Yeah, so I think there are a few different ways that you can approach that question. Uh, the first thing I would say is church history connects us with the Christians of the past. And we often talk about how worship is this time of encouragement because we come together with our fellow Christians in it. Uh, invigorates us and gets us ready for our, our week to come where we go out into the world. And I think church history also does that as it connects us with the church for the last 2,000 years. Um, another important feature of church history, um, and this is coming from someone who is presently studying theology, is church history is our primary lens into uh, theology and into the interpretation of Scripture. For 2,000 years, the church has been interpreting Scripture and developing its doctrines so that we can better understand God's revelation to us. And that is uh, almost exclusively a, a historical theologian's task to look back and see how has the church understood this. Um, specifically, the Trinity is the, is the biggest example of that. It's really hard to understand the Trinity fully just looking at scripture, but church history gives us these uh, hundreds of years of development um, where we can we come to understand the how God exists in Trinity by looking at scripture and understanding um, and going from give and take and telling people that, no, that conception of the Trinity is not right. No, no that's not right. This is what the Trinity is. And that's only a process we see develop over the course of the church's history. So those are just uh, a couple ways I think church history is valuable for Christians today. Stephen, uh, how has church history been important to you, or how have you seen it to be important for the church at large? On a basic standpoint, you really want to be able to give an answer for your faith when tested, so it is it is important to know why you believe what you believe. Uh, what are the foundations of, uh, if it's a traditional thing that you're associated with, uh, for Churches of Christ, uh, one of the go-to ones for those uh, people that are not Church of Christ, when they ask us, uh, why do you do this? Usually they want to know uh, our stance on instrumental music. Why don't y'all use instruments? Um, and the, the other go-to one is, so you think you're the only ones that are going to be in heaven. Um, oh, and so, yeah, like, oh, easy, easy. Uh, what's your name first? Uh, and, uh, <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, you want to be able to give an answer for why you believe what you believe and having that understanding of church history and for, uh, churches of Christ that's often associated with the restoration movement, Stone Campbell, uh, theology, 
which uh, you mentioned the, uh, the, the Trinity, Daniel. Uh, it's interesting to know that not all the people that were associated with the Restoration Movement uh, side with uh, the belief of the Trinity, mainly saying that it dehumanizes the... Uh, uh, sorry, it, uh, it takes away the divinity from what God is. And... Um, saying that Jesus had to, he was apart and separate from God, saying that you cannot have a son and a father, and yet that be the same thing. Uh, but yeah, we we have our understanding of what the Trinity is. So it is important to know um, on a deep level why it is important to believe what you believe, but you cannot have that understanding unless you know where it came from. Um, and so having that uh, being able to reference uh, how things evolved of, um, over time, these beliefs, and how we ended up with our um, our interpretations now is really key and core to uh, developing who, who, uh, what your faith is uh, for, on a personal level. Michael? So I, I like how both of y'all went to this idea of time. Uh, I remember a communion talk that I heard probably about seven years ago. It's when I was in California, and it stuck with me to this day. Um, the, the speaker used the analogy that we sit at the longest table when we take communion. Uh, when we're eating this meal together, we sit at a table that not only spans across the entire world, there's other uh, Christians and other congregations across the entire world taking this meal, but it also stretches back through time and will stretch forward in time. That we are eating the same meal that they did. And so when you read church history, when you learn about church history, you're learning about your family. You're learning about your own roots, uh, going back 2,000 years. And it's important to know how we got to where we are. And all. And part of being a family is knowing about all of the fights that you've had, knowing about all of the uh, the issues that your family is having which helps you with your, your current family and how we talk to each other. Uh, so I also think that it's important to view church history uh, as you know the, through the idea that the past is prologue. The past is telling us what will happen in the future. So when we think about you know how will Christians use new technologies as they come forward, well, we can look back at how Christians used previous technologies. And without a doubt, we see that Christians have been using technology to spread the gospel. At the same time, non-Christians have been using technology to work against the gospel message. Uh, we also see that uh, church history is a story of, of not only uh, the, the great men of history, but also great women, uh, great peoples, uh, not just individuals, but groups of people that come together uh, to to talk about the big ideas and making sure that these ideas are passed down through history because it is the most important part of who we are. Um, and in some ways, it it is discouraging to look back at church history and to see all of the times that our family has messed up, to see all of the times that our family has been responsible for the wrongs that have been done. And, uh, as we've all heard in history classes, uh, those who do not learn history are doomed to repeat it, we as Christians need to learn our church history so that we do not repeat the same mistakes that we've made. Um, I'm curious, uh, and I'll, I'll start off with one or two, but 
I'm curious if there are any specific church history stories, maybe an individual or uh, an episode in church history that has inspired your faith. Um, I'll start us off by by learning when when I've learned about uh, social movements throughout the world that uh, when women have been empowered, when minorities have been empowered or even brought out of slavery, uh, church history teaches us that those movements are always led by Christians. Be it William Wilberforce or the abolitionists in America looking to abolish the slave trade, the temperance movement looking to uh, gain the right to vote for women, or also the uh, temperance also looking to get rid of alcohol, uh, or even the civil rights leadership of Martin Luther King and uh, Fred Gray, who's a member of the, the, the church, Churches of Christ, uh, prominent leaders looking to embolden what they knew to be true based off of Scripture. Um, it encourages me that when people say that Christians are on the wrong side of history today, we remember that we have been on the right side of history because it's not us that is uh, that is the source of truth, but it is always God that should be the source of truth for the church throughout history. Now, we've made plenty of mistakes, uh, but we do have um, at least some somewhat of a good track record to look on and also bad decisions we've made to correct our path. Um, other stories of church history that y'all find ins- inspiring. So, Michael, you were talking about um, how we need to not only look at history to learn uh, positive messages from it or to be supported by it, but also um, to learn from the mistakes of the past. And um, building off of that old adage that we we are doomed to repeat it if we don't learn from those mistakes. Um, and so you made me start to think about um, this important time in church history that I think uh, most people are familiar with, the, the Reformation, um, where you get these uh, giants of the faith, uh, Martin Luther, John Calvin, and they, uh, Nolark Zwingli, and they help um, in this development of Christianity. And while there is some division to be mourned there with the Catholic Church, um, there's also this great progress that they helped us with. Um, but also during that time, a movement that we don't talk about as much is the Radical Reformation, um, also known as the Anabaptist Movement. And it's this really dark time in Christian history when uh, another group of Christians are uh, are growing, are uh, coming about, and um, they have these beliefs that are seen as uh, too radical at that time. And they are persecuted even more than the Protestants are by the Catholics. In fact, both parties, Protestants and Catholics, are all, they have one thing they can agree on. They don't like the, the Anabaptists, mm. and they are yeah. persecuting them. Um, if anyone ever, uh, if you flip through the pages of The Martyr's Mirror, a... Um, a collection or an anthology of um, the horrible things that happened to Anabaptists in that time. It's really quite sad, and there are, are many stories that that demonstrate that persecution and the horrible things that happened there. Um, but um, for anyone who's not aware, the Churches of Christ indirectly uh, trace their heritage back to the Anabaptist movement. Um, and uh, we see... 
in those episodes, in those stories, we see that there's a grace and a mercy that should be given to our contemporary peers, those that even um, that we view as radical um, because of the good things that can potentially outgrow from them. And that's a story that we, we learn in such pain, but with such passion when we look at those, that radical reformation and those early stories. Well, Daniel, you, uh, you actually wrote a blog that dealt with a social issue that took place over a long period of time that the church was involved in, uh, and uh, specifically in America, slavery, uh, 400 years of it in uh, the United States uh, or the Americas and the slave trade. And we could talk about the, um, the history of slavery and the church and how it's addressed, uh, its existence, uh, its toleration to an extent, yet it's, uh, it's evil, uh, the evil that can exist within it. Um, and we know that there are examples of being slaves to sin, slaves to a master that we are called to be, uh, but the mistreatment of slaves and the dehumanization of those that are in a, uh, a slave status and how wrong that is. Um, so that is uh, clearly something that uh, has a cloud put over the history of the church, mm-hmm. uh, where we do see that that social issue, issue we moved through it, and the church was a, a big part in that and showing how this is completely non-Christian behavior. So like Michael was saying, there are things that we have seen in the church uh, that uh, we, it's a flaw. Uh, We've grown from it and learned from it, uh, but it is always good to know um, about the mistakes that are made so you don't repeat them. Stephen, I think that's so important for practical reasons that as we're looking at modern issues of uh, diversity within the church. You know, can we have unity between white and black churches? If we don't have an understanding of our own history and how we've messed it up really bad in the past, we're not going to understand the deep hurts that real people are bringing to these real situations. Um, and so I, I think you're right on there. Um, let me also say that, uh, Something that I said earlier uh, could be perceived as, as wrong, so I, w- I want to clarify it. When I talked about all of the, the Christian leaders throughout all of these different movements, um, people who dis- friends that disagree with me on this would be very quick to point out, well, yeah, Michael, of course they were Christians because everybody was Christians. Um, and they're right uh, that there have always been Christians in name only. There have always been people who claim to be Christians because it was the popular religion of the time, and those who, who truly followed Christian teachings uh, to, to propagate the, the truth of God's message. And so we should be wary when we're reading through history to say, well, only the winning side of truth is the real Christians. Well, many people claim to be Christians, when in fact some are not. Um, l- l- I want to put out just a, a few more stories, and then we can then we can move on to, to how we practically implement these teachings um, in the church today. Um, one that uh, my, my mother uh, brought up the other day, I was talking to her, uh, as many of our listeners might know, our, our mother 
uh, often goes on uh, mission trips to Ukraine. And she was talking about the Cyrillic language that is used in Ukraine and much of, of Eastern Europe. Uh, the Cyrillic language was actually brought, uh, or excuse me, was developed by early Christian missionaries uh, to that part of the world. So even the words we use find their meaning in our Christian tradition. Since I know we have a, a major Russian audience, I will correct you and say it's a Cyrillic alphabet and it's a Slavic language. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Stephen. <laughs> Steve, Stephen has actually been to Ukraine, so he is, he's more of an authority on this than I am. Uh, another, another issue when it comes to languages, um, I've been telling my brothers that I will no longer call that popular translation, uh, the King James Bible or the authoritative, uh, authoritative version. Rather, I want to call it the William Tyndale Bible. Uh, for those of our listeners who might not be familiar with the story of William Tyndale, I encourage you to you know, do a quick Google search and read some about him. William Tyndale was the first person to translate the Bible into uh, what was a version of, Eng of the English language. Not, not something that might not be recognizable today, but... Uh, he was persecuted for this. It, it was considered heresy to translate the Bible into English. And he was, he ended up being killed based off of his efforts. However, uh, not too many years later, uh, the King James translators basically used, or we might even say plagiarized, all of Tyndale's works, even though he had been oppressed, uh, uh, opposed by the monarchy, the monarchy eventually came around to use his work uh, to glorify God. Uh, and so as we're thinking about the translations that we use today, it's important to know the history of how those translations came about. Uh, ideas have consequences. As you're, we're thinking about the ideas of original sin, these aren't uh, fights that we're having today. These aren't uh, issues that just have come up recently, but there have been people who have been debating these issues on all sides for hundreds or, or over a thousand years. Uh, I was a quick question regarding Tyndale. Uh, when he translated uh, the Bible into um, uh, old whatever, English, whatever, yeah. old English, yes, um, was he translating it from Latin or the uh, original Greek or what? So he, he used the original Greek, but of course any Bible translator worth their salt also would, would go back to the, you know, Jerome's Latin, you know, the Vulgate. Um, so he, he was familiar with both. Um, but I, I won't be, pretend to be a complete expert here. Uh, but it, to my knowledge, he used both. Uh, for any of our readers who are readers, any of, our, any of our listeners who are interested in these topics, and Dana, you were making me think of this, you know, there, there are books on this, perhaps the most popular uh, or popularized one being uh, Jesus Freaks, tells a lot of the different stories of people who were persecuted for their faith uh, throughout the history of the church. I'm sure chapter one is probably uh, about ACDC. Uh, they do tell it's, it's DC talk. They insisted on making this album, and they like, please don't put this out. And like, no, we're going to put out this album. Okay, um, yeah, I just thought it was ironic. They're like, you can't translate the Bible into another language. But wait, hold on. But y'all have already translated it into Latin. 
Well, if if King James English was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. <laughs> All right. All right so, well, go ahead. No, go ahead. All right. So we we've shared stories. And there are books and books and books that you could read that have been written on the topic of church history and many uh, applications that can be made. So let, let's put this forward. How do Christians today go about learning these ideas, learning the history of theology, learning about the history of the church, uh, whether it's you know the, the universal church or the restoration movement? Uh, what are resources you would recommend or just ways that individuals or congregations can learn more about these ideas? Um, you know, throw out a few things. One, I'll go ahead and steal Michael Sunder and say hymnals. That's the number one book mm. to connect you to church history. Uh, Michael, well you can talk more about that. Um, the uh, two other things I'll say, um, well, some, some specific recommendations uh i i had it sitting here when not too long ago um interpretation of the bible that's a really generic title that's not going to help anyone um there are some great anthology books that you can find just googling or on amazon um and you can get uh, a lot of great um excerpts of church thinkers throughout history who are commenting on different topics. Uh, one I'm specifically thinking of is like early church interpretation of the Bible or something like that. And so you'll get a lot of church fathers and just little excerpts of them talking about how to interpret the Bible. Um, another good one is Reviving the Ancient Faith, and that is a book about the Restoration Movement. It's a very good book. It's written by um, a Disciples of Christ guy. Um, who used to teach at ACU, I think. Um, so he's uh, maybe a little biased on some stuff, but it's still a it's a very good resource. I recommend um, that book and also the book I couldn't remember the title for. Um, the other thing I was going to say, as we're talking about practically implementing this, is um, whenever you are, if you're ever teaching class or you have any sort of input on how classes are taught at, um, at your church, at your congregation, um, try to survey church history as much as you can um, when talking about doctrinal issues. Um, and so that's almost every issue. Uh, it's really important. There's a lot of different resources that you can use to do that. And if I can think of some of them, I'll say them by the end of the podcast. But whenever you're talking about uh, the Trinity, something we've we've already mentioned a couple times. Um, it's good to look at the Bible. Of course, that is our uh, ultimate uh, guide and revelation of God. Um, but look at how the church has interpreted, interpreted the Trinity throughout its history. Whenever you're dealing with the topic of original sin, look at how the church has interpreted it. You're looking at uh, more practical things like... Um, the order of worship and what happens in the assembly. You can research that throughout the scope of the church's history. And you will be you'll gain so much more if you do that in addition to reading the Bible instead of just uh, looking at scriptural references. And just to offer up uh, 
what Daniel was talking about, Reviving the Ancient Faith, is by Richard Hughes. Yes. And I, I wanted to quickly put out another book that I, I've worked through before that I thought was good, uh, Renewing God's People by Gary Holloway and Doug Foster. Yeah, anything by Doug Foster is, I will uh, affirm that. So my basic stance, well, what you got to start with if you're going to be looking into church history well, first start with reading your Bible so that you can, you know, develop the taste uh, to begin with. I mean, that's uh, the first hundred years of church history right there. <laughs> that, that would be correct, which made me think we are, we, we talked about how interpretation has evolved over time, um, at, but we started our timeline after the early church. I mean, what years are we really... Uh, categorizing as the early church, whatever we want to categorize that as. That made me think, how much uh, weight does the example of the early church hold sway to what we saw the church in any other point in history uh, do? Is there any fallacy that we can see that the early church did it this way? Well, they did it because it was cultural, blah, blah, blah. That is a discussion for another time, um, but uh, we still need to make sure that we are doing some sort of research to see why the early church would have done something a certain way, the implications of it, what of it may have been cultural versus what of it uh, had a, a, a direct correlation to a commandment that we can see. Uh, it has a, a necessary inference um, but yeah, that, that would be my take is, uh, seeing what uh, research you can do to, uh, actually weigh the actions of the early church. Uh, and, uh, that, uh, cause that is the start of the history itself. So, and just, just to put some more into what Stephen was saying there, some resources when you're talking about early church history. I, I think Everett Ferguson is one of the foremost scholars on, on the early church. Um, it's, not, it's not a readable book, but a reference book would be something like Baptism in the Early Church by Everett Ferguson, if you're wondering what did the early church believe about this issue. And he also has some other books about... He is uh, like a two-part encyclopedia, I think. Mm -hmm. It's just like two volumes. It's very good. It's a definitive work on early church history. I can't think of what it's called, but is you it, can is find it. it. Yeah, Ecclesia. And a lot of people that haven't had the chance to sit in church history classes, there, there, there's a good chance that somebody listening to this may have have never heard the name William Tyndale before oh, in their life. so sad. And so th thinking of that makes me point uh, our listeners in the direction. It would be very wise for you to know who the pivotal figures are in church history and just start from that. This person was involved in this movement, w which caused these uh, two denominations to break from each other and to form. How did we get the Catholic Church? How did we get the, the Baptists, Methodists, Lutherans, etc.? 
uh, knowing the people that were involved with uh, developing ideologies that caused uh, uh, these drastic changes uh, to change in the church that gave us what we have today. Okay, so instead of doing concluding remarks for this podcast, uh, I think it would be fun for us to play uh, who are your top four or five people of church history outside of the first century. So while y'all are thinking of who you want, your, you know, who's in your top, your top uh, of the list, uh, let me go through uh, what Dana was talking about with hymnals um, and, and just offer up that. And this goes along with what Stephen was saying. So, so Stephen mentioned uh, some to some of our listeners out there, I, you might not have heard of William Tyndale before. And that's okay. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, one very easy to read short book that I would recommend that goes over all of church history is it's called A Short History of Christianity. It's, it's even kind of funny in some places. It's a fairly enjoyable read. Um, but as Daniel mentioned, I think the most basic way to learn your church history is to open up your, your hymnal, to sing the songs that you already know, but then if, if your hymnal is written like many, many others, go to either the, the top of the page, if it's an older one, or if you have songs of faith and praise, go to the bottom of the page where it says who it was written by, and then try to learn some of the stories behind those people. So you'll learn the stories of, of John and Charles Wesley, uh, of Martin Luther. Uh, he, he wrote, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And, and there's a reason why he wrote that, and there's a reason behind the music that's there, and we'll save that for another time. Uh, Amazing Grace and John Newton, knowing uh, that that tells you the, the history of the slave trade, that John Newton was was a slave trader, but when he found Christ, he he went, he pulled a 180. He changed his life around, and God was able to save him. And even our, our modern songs uh, have a story to tell. It's amazing that he got a, a Vegas show after uh, being involved in the slave trade. That, I believe that's Wayne Newton, not John Newton. Oh, my mistake, my mistake. Okay. All right, all right. So uh, we are running low on time here. So who wants to go first on... You're asking us to give us our Mount Rushmore... Of... Yeah, Mount Rushmore of church history. Uh, and you, of course, you can define it however you want. And listeners, uh, put, put your Mount Rushmore of church history in the comments uh, on, the on Daniel's blog, and we'll, we'll compare. <laughs> don't um, at me. <laughs> yeah, don't at me. Um... I will, uh, I'll give mine, I guess. Um, not confident in this. I don't think anyone will, uh, carve these faces into a mountain. Um, very but, ugly man. Uh, so I'll give my church fathers. And so I'll say from church fathers, uh, the patristic period, I'll pick Origen. Uh, Origen's great. He, is different than all the other great church fathers uh, in that he is uh, very um, interested in philosophy and um, these more like abstract uh, interpretations of scripture. In some ways, we would totally reject a lot of his conclusions today, but he's a fascinating guy nonetheless. Um, our got the medieval period. Um, because my uh, medieval church class um, was uh, more fun than instructive, I don't know many. Um, I'll say Aquinas. It's the only one I can think of. Mm -hmm. um, he's great. Uh, well, we got Reformation after that. 
I don't like anyone in the Reformation. Oh my goodness. Um, I I already talked about Anabaptists. I'll go with uh, I don't know anyone from the Anna, any of the the beginning figures in the Anabaptist movement. And then let's go uh, modern church. I'll pick Wolfhart Pannenberg, and he's in the last hundred years, so he's not too old. Um, he's dead, but um, wasn't that long ago. Um, Spoiler. He's a He's really interesting. He deals with a lot of uh, very liberal Christian thought, but he tries to ground it in, um, he, it's sort of refreshing how he tries to ground it in these historical realities, um, and that makes him very interesting as well. All right, that's my awful Ste- canon of... Uh, yeah, I was going to say, Stephen, I don't think that last guy is going to be on your mountain or mine, so why don't you go? Um. So, Daniel, were you just breaking them out? Are we supposed to break them out by period? Do whoever you want. I was. Okay, whatever. Um, I would would start with Tyndale. Um, I I don't know why I'm pronouncing him Tyndale. I've always uh, pronounced it Tyndale. Zwingli, I would put him in there. And Arminius and probably... uh, I would just go with uh, Martin Luther. Okay. I was going to say, are we going to get through two of these Mount Rushmores without Martin Luther? Um, so, uh, I'm, I'm tempted to put on Pelagius because he's my boy. But uh, no. I think you have to put on Augustine um, okay. as as on the Mount Rushmore. Um, just to be... Contra- because Stephen already said Martin Luther, I'm going to put on Calvin on the mine. Um, although I think you could put both of them on there and that would be legitimate. I thought Zwingli was, a, was a great pick. Um, I'm, I'm going to be a contrarian and put a woman on there. Uh, wow. now we're all so regressive. I'm so sorry. I know. Yeah. Listeners. Well, I'm not sure if mine's the best one. Uh, but put on Fanny J. Crosby. Uh, uh that I is think, a good pick. Yeah. Uh, you know, I could put on like Isaac Watts. Um, he's perhaps the best, other than David, like the best songwriter that there's. Did you there mention is out there. Erasmus? Was that one of your first ones? I didn't oh, say that. Uh, I wouldn't put. I mean, he's he's important to church history, but I wouldn't put him on Mount Rushmore. Um, my my fourth one. Is, so I'll go twentieth uh, century. I think that um, one of the most monumental figures for modern Christian thought is C.S. Lewis, uh, popularizing it. and I'm a fool. Ah, why did I waste my pick on Pannenberg? <laughs> well, now our listeners uh, have someone to go look up. We are interested not only in your thoughts on your Mount Rushmore, but on your thoughts on the podcast. Uh, we encourage our listeners to subscribe to the podcast, rate it, and leave a comment on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.